Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. This is Faraz Siddiqui. Uh, Joe Volpe is here with me, of course. Uh, Joe, what's going on, man? How you doing? <laughs> Woo! You know, I, I I knew you were up to something. I knew you were up to something over there. I was like, what is he doing over there? <laughs> it is Faraz's birthday. He told me he's turning 34, the big three, four. So you're older than all these running backs. How does that feel? Ah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I love it. I love that. That's great. You know, and it's crazy because like, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering now, like how old is like Adrian Peterson and Frank Gore? Are they older than me? Frank Gore, definitely. I think he's 35. Adrian Peterson, he might, you might be the same age. As, how cool would that be? Adrian Peterson is 35. So he was born oh, in 1985 and he's going to turn 36 this year. Wow. So wow, Adrian Peterson got a couple years on me. All right. Is Frank Gore? How old is Frank Gore? He's 37. Frank Gore's, so Frank Gore's wow. 37. Wow. He's going to be 38. Holy shit. That's crazy. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, man. I appreciate that. And I appreciate the sound effects. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I want because there's, I wanted Spotify for a happy birthday song. There was like 18 of them. I, I didn't know there were that many. Yeah, there's so many. Like if I, if my kids are in the backseat and they ask me to play any song, I'm like, which version of this song do you want? Because <laughs> There are 14 kids' versions of the same exact song. Um, kids' pop. So like, kids pop. Yeah, I, I'll put the kids' pop version of some songs, but they're like, no, I don't <laughs> want that version. I want the other version. And I'm like, whatever version Siri gives me, that's the version you're getting. I'm sorry. There you go. I'm driving. <laughs> but yeah, man. Okay, so today we wanted to go over our way too early running back rankings. Yes. Uh, we went over the quarterbacks last week. So if you didn't catch that episode go check that out as well. We went over our top 15 quarterbacks and how we see it, you know, sitting here in February, right? Uh, so we're doing the same thing for our running backs. And Joe and I both have our own rankings that we're doing now going into the season. And we're obviously going to update these rankings as the off season progresses. 
as we do more research, as you know, new things come out, uh, as free agents get signed, as draft picks come in, uh, we'll be making a bunch of changes as we go. Uh, but we appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, I think we should get right into it, man. Yes, we should. So, so who do you have at number one? I think we both got the same guy. I think so. I think our, we have a consensus top four, pretty much. Yeah. Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, yep. Derrick Henry, Alvin Kamara. Now, you know, I, I have Derrick Henry at three and Kamara at four. You have Kamara at three and Henry at four, but those are basically our top four. Yeah. Right. Uh, McCaffrey, uh, he, you know, he, he had a rough season, you know, to say the least. Right. Uh, and anybody who drafted him probably had a rough season, uh, but yeah. his ankle sprain, high ankle sprain, healed by now. You know, he had that AC joint sprain. He should be good to go next season. The Panthers probably, hopefully, making a move at quarterback. And, yep. and you know, regardless of whether they do or not, McCaffrey is going to see like 25 touches a game, most likely, right? Uh, 30 to 40% of that coming to the in the past game. So he's at number one, I think safely for both of us, right? Yeah, and I think for a lot of people, based on last year, um, they may not see it that way. But, I mean, who else can you really call the number one? Like, you can call Dalvin Cook that, but at the same time, he's another guy who gets injured from time to time. And Alvin Kamara, without Breeze there, and, you know, I, I wouldn't really want to call him the number one. Derrick Henry, if he caught passes, he could definitely be the number one, but that's just not what he's about, so... Uh, yeah, I think Chris McCaffrey. I mean, I, I could see an argument for Saquon at his best, but as of right now, I just it, it's hard to go against McCaffrey. And but oddly enough, like I would not want the one on one, right? Like, don't you feel that way? Like, yes, like Chris McCaffrey is Chris McCaffrey, but I, I just I don't think I want that one on one. I think I'd rather take a one, you know, 105, something like that. It's too much pressure because, like, yeah, McCaffrey's coming off some injuries, uh, yep. right? You, you know, Dalvin Cook, you know, he, he had a great season last year, didn't have any injuries, but you know, he had a couple injury prone seasons the year before, years before. Derrick Henry, you know, he has uh, some coaching changes, right? Arthur Smith left there, Alvin Kamara got the quarterback yep. change, so you know, there's some moving pieces up there, and you know, there's po- it's possible that you know. You, you, there's some unforeseen circumstances that happen that, you know, end up affecting your top four pick. But, you know, you kind of, these are the guys you're going to go with most likely, right? You want to take your best shot, you know, in, at, at that workhorse bell cow running back. Um, like Dalvin Cook, right? Yep. Uh, I think, so Dalvin Cook was the most consistent running back last year. Uh, he, he, I don't think he had one dud week. He had top, he, he had, 14 weeks of being a, being a top 24 guy. So, and the other two weeks, he just didn't play. So he was right beneath Kamara in points per game last season. But I think Kamara's six touchdown performance in yeah, that week that, 16 game, I think that, that put him right over the top. Screwed me up. Fantasy championship. I'll never forgive Kamara. Same here, man. Same here, man. I was going, I was going against, I, I tell this story so many times, him, Mike Evans. Oh man, I'm never going to forget. I have, I have nightmares about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I going up against Jason Aponte, the you know he was on our podcast a couple weeks ago, but that sure. was that was brutal. Um, and then Derrick Henry, third in fantasy points per game behind those two guys. Um, he was a full five points per game lower than Kamara. Um, and he ran for over should, two thousand yards. <laughs> yeah, I know he went over two thousand yards. Maybe I should move Kamara up. I don't know. I was thinking about it. They're so close for me. Um, but every time I think about Derrick Henry, I'm like, oh, there's some changes there. I think about Kamara, I'm like, oh, there's a couple changes there. 
Uh, but Derrick Henry had a coaching change, right? Yeah. But they say that the offense is not changing. Um, uh, now, I would why imagine would they? <laughs> yeah, why would they, right? I would imagine that they keep feeding Henry and, you know, we will be able to, you know, they'll be able to sustain his touchdown rate, maybe. A and, and B, like, I don't know, like, can there be some subtle changes in this offense, maybe creatively, that can take Henry down a notch down? Or will he just be the same beast? And do you expect him to get fed the same way he's been fed the last two seasons? This dude had 378 carries last year. Nuts. Nuts. I can't remember the last time I saw someone get that many carries. I mean, <laughs> it's, insane. it's just like, you know, I, I do expect them to feed him. But, you know, we know what they wanted to do with Arthur Smith. Um, and obviously the next coach is going to want to do that too. But will it be as much work? And will it allow him to sustain his touchdown rate? I mean, that's pretty much what, what matters when it comes down to Derrick Henry. Absolutely. So, um, so Alvin Kamara, you know, it's like, it's crazy. Like I'm looking at Alvin Kamara, he's like all the way down at number four. <laughs> but honestly, like if there wasn't a quarterback change, he'd be up at three maybe. Um so with Drew Brees, we knew he was getting the ball through the air like 10 times a game, right? Like now I'll say this about Kamara. I have no hesitancy on Kamara moving forward. And I see a lot of people moving away from Kamara in Dynasty and trying to sell him because they're trying to like be ahead of the curve, you know, but I, I'm not so sure that's the move. And I've seen a lot of that, you know, over the past few weeks. Yeah. Um, but this dude is going to be 26 going into the season. He caught 83 balls this year. That's more than the 81 he's caught, right? Each of the previous three seasons. That pissed me off. I just wish he dropped two passes. I know, and then we just all messed up that night. That Four straight seasons of 81 balls. Exactly. <laughs> um, and and 9.1 yards per reception, which is second only to his rookie year. Um, and remember how efficient that rookie year was, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and he scored 21 touchdowns this year, right? Like Thanks to the six in one game. Six but, touchdowns, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but sure. And, and we could talk regression, but... He's still going to get, you know, 250 touches next year. Um, and when you look throughout his career, 33% of his touches have come via receptions. And that's insane, right? Especially, you know, when he's efficient in that department. And we know how much, how much, how much more valuable targets are. It's about three times more valuable than a carry. So yeah. Alan Kamara is always going to be up there when you're talking about a weighted, uh, weighted opportunity, right? And his next quarterback is going to have to get him the ball, right? Because that's what the scheme says to do. Like, that wasn't necessarily like a Drew Brees thing. Like, because of Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara is getting the ball. But, yes, a dead arm is going to get the ball to Kamara more. But how much more, right? A couple more targets a game maybe? Like, you know, Kamara is the best in the game in terms of catching the ball out of the backfield, right? They're going to want to get him the ball. He was first in yards per route run this year. He had the most oh. receptions this year. Breeze missed some games this year, didn't he? Like he, he missed some games. So like still he had more catches than any other season in his career. He was targeted on 30% of snaps. That was first among all running backs who ran more than 200 routes last year. He led all running backs in yards after the catch by more than 200 yards. The second guy was, was the second guy in yards after the catch was 200 yards behind Kamara. So with Jameis at quarterback, like it's better for Kamara than Taysom Hill, I think because of how much Taysom Hill is going to run with the ball. Um, yeah. But Kamara, he's going to get the ball by design and not just dump offs. So, um, you know, and when you look at last year, Taysom Hill didn't get him the ball the first couple of games, as we've talked about, mm -hmm. uh, but he came around big time towards the end of that stretch where he was starting um, in terms of getting him the ball. So because they need to get him the, get, get him the ball, it's, it's a big part of their game plan.
Yeah, and I felt like Latavius Murray at times kind of took over that backfield with Taysom Hill, which is why a lot of people are starting to get, um, you know, a little jittery with Kamara and trying to move on from him just in case that does become the reality for New Orleans, which I don't think it will, just as you're saying. So um, the, the concerns with Kamara are so small, and he's been extremely consistent throughout his career. We've had doubts from time to time, but, um, yeah, I mean, he, he keeps showing up, and as you said, waited uh, what do you call it? Weighted, weighted, weighted opportunity. opportunity. Yep. Boom. That's yeah. Weighted it. opportunity basically just means that, uh, you know, for those who haven't seen me talk about this before and, you know, guys like Scott Pet Barrett and, and these much smarter, the guys than me, they've talked about this in, you know, at length in the past. And they've done a lot of research around this where, yeah. you know, when you look at running back opportunity over the past several years, over the past 10 years or so, you look at how much more is the target worth in fantasy uh, over a carry obviously carry is worth you know x amount right of fantasy points but a a uh, a target is worth almost three times as much as that carry so 3x that carry um you know in in full ppr leagues and half ppr leagues is still worth more and yeah. even in standard leagues it's still worth a little bit more as well so uh just just keep that in mind and i know we didn't really have to address this in the quarterback episode, but now that we're talking running backs, we typically mostly talk about PPR. So um, when we're talking about rankings, we're talking about putting these guys in order. Um, I, I would say I lean much more towards the PPR realm. Um, I don't know about you, but maybe half we can consider, but for the most part, PPR has become the new standard. I agree. I, I'm, I, whenever I talk about anybody, or, or anything <laughs> fantasy i'm always talking ppr i'm exactly. just uh, i'm just assuming ppr i know a lot of people are in non-ppr leagues i don't even call non-ppr standard anymore because yeah, exactly PPR now um but I, I don't i know a lot of people are in non-ppr leagues and i'm not trying to not include you right uh or you know half ppr same thing i know half ppr is like the happy medium i guess sure uh, i tried but- it i didn't like it yeah yeah it doesn't do it it doesn't do it for me honestly <laughs> um i just like more points yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> pretty much so and like you know a lot of these guys just go off like when you have a, a receiver getting like nine catches for 80 yards and he like you look at it and you hear 17 points instead of eight you're like okay cool like i like that you know because <laughs> yes sure he had 80 yards of production but the dude also could have had one catch for 80 yards too and sure it was one play that got him 80 yards and it was the same amount of production but if a guy is catching eight balls for 90 yards or whatever I said, um, I feel like that has more of an impact on the game than that one catch for 80 yards, unless it was like on a, on a game winning drive. In one of my leagues, we actually have a uh, points per rush, which is 0.3. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I, like that. I mean, and, and that's, and that's cool because it, it, guys like Derek Henry must go off, right? Uh, but, yeah. I had Derek but, Henry on my team, but I lost the and, and it helps because guys like Derek Henry, you know, they don't, catch the ball catch the football yep. right and then you, you might be higher on guys like nick chubb who aren't who you know is not in, too involved in the pass game or guys like jk dobbins right who's not going to get one target next season uh but but but, but, but we'll get there um oh okay so we both <laughs> so we both have saquon at five right he's coming off the acl the mcl and the meniscus tear he was on mike tyson's podcast uh and and he was talking about his injury and he was pretty aware that Adrian Peterson was the only running back really who had a great year uh, off of a similar injury. Uh, and he even talked to Peterson's trainer this, this offseason to get an idea of what to do. 
And he talked about training the whole body and not just rehabbing that one injury. So um, when I saw that, I was kind of happy, right? So like he knows what to do. And, and it's like knowing Saquon Barkley and, and how he is. Like he just seems like one of those visceral athletes. Like he wants to be the best. So I feel like, yes, he's going to do that. So I'm not surprised that he's doing that, you know? Um, yeah, 100%. I'm sorry. Did you say Mike Tyson has a podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. He does. Yeah. So I forgot what it's called, though. Um, but I did see it. I, I did see, I like, see that. a clip of the interview. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'll really send it to you. It was on my podcast. I really want to see that podcast. Uh, he was on, uh, yeah, he was on his podcast. So I'll send it to you. I have, I have the clip. It was on my story the other day. Um, but yeah, but, but Saquon's a, he, he's a freak, right? And if anyone can have an Adrian Peterson type of season the year after that ACL, MCL meniscus injury, it's Saquon. So yeah. he's at five for us. But I think like, you know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think both of us would have him at two or three if he never got hurt, maybe two. one. Right, exactly, number two, right? So do you think, uh, let me ask you this though. He's coming off of this serious injury. Do you think Wayne Gallman or somebody takes some snaps off his plate? Like, do you see Saquon coming in and just taking 80% plus snaps off the bat? No, because I, I, cause I don't think the Giants are necessarily concerned about preserving Saquon Barkley at this point of his career. I think they're more worried about getting the production out of him and making that second um, or it was second overall that took him in the draft, right? Uh, was it second? <laughs> I think yeah, it was think after Baker yeah. Mayfield, yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I think at this point, they just kind of want that draft pick to work out. I think they just want to get as much production out of him as they can. I don't think they're really going to take it slow, and uh, he's gotten injured a lot. So if he's healthy, they're going to put him out there. They want to rely on him. They do not want to rely on Daniel Jones. And it's kind of upsetting that they're going to the season with Daniel Jones again. I know it's only his third year and, you know, saying only his third year isn't exactly like, you know, a good sign when, you're, when it's already not looking good. But, um, yeah, they, they definitely want to run their offense through Saquon. They do not want to rely on Daniel Jones. So if he's out there and he's expected to be out there, they're going to use him. Who, who's going to have a better end of career? Mitchell Trubisky or mm-hmm. Daniel Jones? Mr. Bisky went to the playoffs. I don't know if Daniel Jones ever. Okay, how about how, how about stat, stats career stats wise? God, Dan, I think Daniel Jones. It, honestly, like, look, that offensive line is improving. They have if they have Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, um, Saquon Barkley. Maybe they get like a Jalen Waddle or someone like that. A lot of just, people are a lot of people are are, are projecting them to uh, them picking Kyle, Kyle Pitts. If they trade Evan Ingram, yeah, but I mean, Kyle Pitts can play wide receiver too. He could, but I think what makes him so good is the fact that he can line up as tight end. Oh my god! If he lines up a tight end, like if he just lines up in the slot, like you know, as a tight end or whatever slot wide receiver, it doesn't matter. Like he's he would insane, just dominate. Dude. He would just Nuts. dominate year one. Like I think all of the and we're getting so off topic here. I don't care. Uh, but like you, you know how like rookie tight ends don't make an impact ever, almost. Like Hawkinson had that one game his rookie year, and then that was it. Um, but Kyle Pitts is a better prospect coming up than Hawkinson was, and Hawkinson was taken super early by the Lions. Right? Yeah, Hunter Henry leaves the Chargers, and then the Chargers take Kyle Pitts. That'll be oh my god! I, and then I'm, they cut, and then they cut Mike Williams. Listen, man, in Dynasty, listen in Dynasty, I would take it would basically be Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts for me. 
yeah. if that was the case. Dude, like, I love that, Kyle Pitts. I'm they, crazy be, for tight ends and trying to find values like Kyle Pitts. They would be, be number one and two guys. for me in in a in a rookie in a rookie dynasty draft. Yep. I would that's, that's those are the two guys. Okay. Anyway, we digress. Let's let's get back to it. Um, all right. At number six, uh, do we both have Nick Chubb at number six? Yeah, I believe so. We both got Nick Chubb sitting in that number six spot. I don't feel too too amazing about it. Like there's so much good with Nick Chubb. But I could very easily put Jonathan Taylor or Ezekiel Elliott over him. Um, again, Ezekiel Elliott, it's kind of a similar story to like Saquon to where, I mean, Elliott wasn't hurt, but the situation wasn't great and he didn't really have the quarterback help. It seemed like last year, um, Zeke was really banged up through the year. And I think he kept trying to play through it. And he had that one game of rest where he had a, you know, not a huge role and Tony Pollard took most of the snaps, whatever. And then the following game, he was like, he was back to normal, you know, like the game after that Zika came back and we saw that guy that uh, a lot of people drafted like early in the first round. So with Dak Prescott, presumably back with Amari Cooper, with CD lamb, with Michael Gallup extending the field, I find no reason to Elliott can't be a top five running back. Um, having him at eight and i know i'm talking about zeke and we're supposed to be talking about chubb but okay. <laughs> having him at eight just goes to show like how much we like nick chubb and a kevin stefanski offense um and what jonathan taylor can do behind that great offensive line with carson Wentz back there being game manager passing him the ball out of the backfield and uh, just him being a workhorse as we saw towards the end of the year so um i yeah. I, I think these three guys can go in any particular order i'm not sold on any of them firmly being in that spot yeah, no, I I hear you, and, and I'm okay jumping around. Like I have Chubb at five, um, but I'll touch on Zeke too. Like something was definitely up with Zeke la- last season, yeah. right? And and I don't know, maybe it was the fact that he had COVID like right before the season, and his body wasn't 100. percent Maybe like I'm just speculating, maybe. but he yeah. was also banged up at various points of the season, right? Now, like you said, the good thing about Zeke is that he's going to be on a good offense, potentially great offense, right? Especially if Dak is back, so. Because of that, he's going to get his touchdowns, right? He's going to get his, like, 18-plus touches a game. And notice I didn't say 20-plus touches, right? Like, this is new guy in town. You said Tony Pollard. Is that how you pronounce his name? Is it not Tony Pollard? I think Pollard sounds better, but it could be. It could very easily be Pollard. I, I, I think Pollard I, okay. sounds better, actually. Okay, okay yeah, cool. Forget I said Pollard and just say Pollard. I kind of like Pollard, though. So, Tony Pollard, like, <laughs> he was a significant piece of the backfield last year, right? He was getting, like... 30 to 40 percent of snaps every week which is when you look at zeke over the first several years of his career he was the guy right he was getting like 90 percent of 85 to 90 percent of snaps every single week and this year pollard pollard got 101 carries um and he was fifth in the nfl in yards after contact per attempt um zeke among all running backs with at least 200 carries was eight eighth out of ten running backs at 2.82 yards after contact per attempt that was 62nd among all running backs um that now that's not a fair comparison because the more carries you have mm-hmm. you know the, the the bigger sample size the less your yards after contact is likely going to be um but you know it's crazy like i was looking at it only 10 running backs this past year had more than 200 carries right and if you look at 2019 20 running backs had yeah. 200 carries so a lot of that because of injuries yeah, and a man, lot of that crazy. because like new, like we're talking about now, we're talking about Jonathan Taylor, talking about Cam Akers, talking about DeAndre Swift, talking about James Robinson, 
talking about Antonio Gibson and J.K. Dobbins. We're talking about all these guys who were rookies last year taking on larger roles as the year went on. So the changing of the guard halfway through the season for a lot of these guys um, definitely played a huge part because I'm sure if you take the second half stats for a lot of these guys and measure like who is on pace for over 200 carries, the number would be a lot higher. For sure. And there's a lot right. of shared backfields too. Like and yeah. the NFL is kind of moving in that direction a little bit, right? I think a lot of these coaches too, where, you know, they don't want a guy who's taking 90% of snaps. Yeah. For the running backs, it used to be like, oh, this guy, these guys both have uh, the backfield to themselves, but I like this guy better because no, it's like, this guy has the backfield to himself. It's like, that's it. Like he's top right. 10. Like that's all we need to know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, if you're looking at Zeke too, like, his previous years before this past year Mm -hmm. um in 2019 he was sixth out of 20 in yards after contact per attempt right uh this past year he was at 2.82 that year he was at 3.23 so you know that and by the way that 2.82 in 2019 that would have ranked below adrian peterson and right above todd Gurley. um you know if you put his 2020 numbers in in terms in in context with the 2019 guys so um, you know, it's not a fair comparison when you're looking at a guy who had 100 carries in Tony Pollard and a guy who had 244, but it does show you that he wasn't all there last season compared to his previous years uh, when he was well above three yards <clears throat> after contact. You know, and not time. even just him being all there, but that offensive line as well. I think the Cowboys and the Eagles both had a very, very similar situation to where at their very best with all these guys healthy, they have a top five to 10 offensive line unit in the NFL. But literally just about every single offensive lineman for both of these teams were injured or retired or COVID or something throughout the entirety of the year. So Zeke never got to work with his full offensive line unit, and neither did Miles Sanders, who I don't even know if we'll be able to talk about him because he's so, so oh, hard. Man, I, I, Miles said, I think I have Miles at the top 15. Uh, but uh, and, and then you talk about the receiving game with Zeke, right? And, yeah. and he's been getting in this new offense, like mm-hmm. he's been getting great volume in the receiving sure. game, right? He had, uh, you know, so if you look at, but if you look at all the running backs who had at least 50 targets um, and you look at their yards per route run, he was like, he was dead last. Like if he, so Miles Sanders was dead last, right? And Zeke was right above Miles Sanders. So I'm hoping that with Dak back, like he improves and that he becomes that top five running back again, like you said. Um, but he, I'm simply going to put him in my top 10 for now. And mm-hmm. I think if, if Pollard wasn't around, to be honest with you, and Zeke was that every down guy, like he, I think he'll be in my top five regardless of the slight struggles that we saw last season. You know, for me, I'm not even all that concerned with Pollard. I almost said Pollard again. <laughs> I'm not even all that concerned with Pollard. Um, but you, you know, know, I, you know I for still... me, like, I, I just want to say this about Pollard, right? Sure. Like, it's not about like me being concerned about Pollard himself. You know what okay. I'm saying? Like, I, I'm not afraid that he's ever going to take the job or steal goal line touches or anything like that. It's more like if Zeke isn't on the field for, you know, 90% of snaps like he was before, where yeah. Zeke was constantly on the field and he's going to, you know, churn out those fantasy points. You know what I mean? Um, but if he's getting like 65 to 70% of snaps instead, I, like that is great for fantasy. Like I'll take that yeah. from a running back any day. But it, it when you look when you look at it in context with what Zeke has been doing over the past several seasons, that has changed. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it does. And again, I mentioned earlier having being a workhorse running back, like 
almost automatically puts you in that top 10 to 15 range already. So um, it's just capitalizing on that and being that 90%, like James Robinson played like more snaps than any running back last year. I believe he played in total like 98 or something like 95, something crazy like that. He averaged a very high percentage of snaps throughout the entire year. That's Chris McCaffrey like snaps. I mean, Chris McCaffrey, uh, I do the running back snaps every single week. So if you guys are familiar with that, um, I remember two years ago, Chris McCaffrey, 100%, Chris McCaffrey, 100%, Chris McCaffrey, 100%. And that resulted in him being the number one fantasy back. So yeah, um, yes. volume alone is good. The next couple guys we have on here, I mentioned before. So I, at nine and 10, I got Cam. Well, I, I do want to roll back a little bit. Oh, okay, we didn't let's, talk about, let's roll it back. Let's roll it back. We didn't talk about Nick Chubb that much but I, oh yeah I, we just totally and, and the reason why i want to talk about nick chubb is because like okay he's another like guy who might be a little touchdown dependent right not too involved in the past game he has Kareem hunt in that backfield sure. is he going to regress like there's a lot of questions around nick chubb and and you mentioned that nick chubb and jonathan taylor and zeke you know they might move around for you a little bit for me i i don't think that i'm gonna be moving nick chubb below those guys um i think he's gonna be firmly like in my top six or seven and he breaks the rules for me when I rank a running back this high, right? And you know me, right? Like I want a guy to be involved in the passing game, right? Yeah. But at this point of Nick Chubb's career, Derrick Henry's career, they're in their own category, right? I can't ignore these guys anymore this early. And, and, and only these guys specifically, right? Because they break the mold. So Henry, we talked about, right? Chubb, he's sharing the backfield. But like Derrick Henry, the offense is designed around him, right? The offense moves if he moves. And even with Hunt involved all season, it was Chubb getting all the important work. And Hunt, really, like, a lot of the times Hunt was coming in was when, like, Chubb needed a breather, like, off a long yeah. run or whatever the case may be, right? Um, and I think if anybody's going to regress, I, I think it might be Kareem Hunt um, because of all the touchdowns that he, that he got on not enough work, if that makes sense. Um, and we saw what happened when Hunt, you know, got that full workload in that offense. Like, he wasn't as effective as Nick no, Chubb would have been. Um, so yeah, or, or like they brought him in when Hunt needed to make a play in the passing game, right? Something like that. Um, but like, if you look at Chubb's season this year, obviously he missed like five games. Um, but he was on pace. Like if you look at, you know, his full games, he was on pace for another 1400 yard rushing season. Um, he's not really involved in the pass game, but he's just so damn efficient on the ground. Right. And I'm not even talking touchdowns. Yeah, it's crazy, dude. Like the 12 touchdowns definitely helped. But the fact that he scored a touchdown in almost every game he played this year made you happy. But the fact that, you know, the offense rolled, like like when they got into the red zone, you knew it was Chubb time, right? Like, and it wasn't really fluky. Like he's touchdown dependent, but with him specifically, because he's so talented and because his scheme is so favorable favorable for him, like I'm okay taking him in the first round. And this is this goes against like my general philosophy. But, you know, and, and, and by the way, like he's only... He had 12 goal line carries last year. That's it. And, and that's because he missed games. Uh, the 12 yeah. goal line carries was 13th in the league. Um, and he still scored 12 touchdowns, right? He was scoring touchdowns from all over the place. So, you know, if I had to take an over under on how many goal line carries Trump is going to have next year, like if it's 17, assuming 18, a healthy full season. Yes. Assuming a healthy full season, I'm taking the over for next so, season. So he, here's what I mean by the talent when I'm talking about Nick Chubb, right? He was only behind Derrick Henry in 15 plus yard carries. And he missed five and a half games. He was yeah. second in percentage of carries that went over 15 plus yards. Second only to J.K. Dobbins. He was first in yards created per attempt. He was second in yards created per game. He was first in avoided tackles per touch. 
he was first in yards after contact per attempt among running backs with at least 175 carries. Trans- so this translation, dude, he's a very good running back. Yeah, exactly. He's a stud, right? So he because of this stuff, like he's an exception to the rule. And w- w- when I'm talking about the rule, the rule b- basically being that he's not involved in the passing game. You know, he's going to be touchdown dependent. Yes. And in his case, I'm willing to kind of go with that exception. So, so yeah. So, so and this is where we differ, right? You have Jonathan Taylor after Chubb um, at like seven, I think. Um, yeah. And I have him, I have Jonathan Taylor at 11. Um, and I, wow. I can totally understand that. And I have Cam Akers here, but it looks like you have, like, it looks like you see Taylor kind of picking up where he left off last season. Yeah. I mean, look, that offensive line is so strong. Um, Carson Wentz, I think at the very least will match what Philip Rivers did last year in terms of production and efficiency. I think Phil Rivers for a large part was not very good. Um, he did have some good moments, especially towards the second half of the year. It seemed like he started to pick it up a little bit, but, um, I think Wentz will do fine in his place. And yeah, I mean, without Philip and, and Philip Rivers thing was like throwing to running backs, right? Like that's always been his thing, targeting running backs heavily. And that also in a company to Nick Sirianni and throwing to running backs. So Nick Sirianni not being in the picture, it is a little worrisome because he is the guy who helped Jonathan Taylor get to where he was. But Nick Sirianni also really liked Naheem Hines. And um, I I don't think Hines is necessarily going to go away as a guy who was very high on him last year. But at the same time, Jonathan Taylor proved in the second half of the year that he can carry the ball for this offense. He can be the workhorse that they wanted when they drafted him. And uh, Marlon Mack leaving in free agency. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just – I don't see a reason for Jonathan Taylor not to pick up where he left off. And, uh, yeah, I feel fairly confident with him being a running back one. Yeah. Um, so, from weeks 11 through 17, he averaged 22.1 touches a game. <laughs> yep. and, that, and that's great. Like, when he was called upon the passing game, like, he was amazing too. And mm-hmm. we were talking about this. If you guys listened to our podcast uh, before the season began, you know, we talked about Jonathan Taylor and how he was, you know, he was number one in yards after contact per attempt. I'm sorry. He was number one in, uh, in uh, yards per route run. There's right? so many so yards was, per. I know yards, <laughs> per, receiving yards per route run. And like him, it was basically him and DeAndre Swift at the top. Yeah. And everybody didn't look at Jonathan Taylor as a pass catcher. Um, but Jonathan Taylor was right near the top of the league in terms of yards per route run. So, um, you know, we know that Naheem Hines is their main pass catching weapon for now. And like you mentioned, Philip Rivers not being around, maybe that reduces the amount of targets that Taylor gets in, in on early downs. I think it reduces the need for Naheem Hines. I think it's like almost in a way they felt like Naheem Hines was fit for that role. And when Philip Rivers wanted to pass the ball to get it down the field, they felt like they needed Hines in there with him. But I feel like Jonathan Taylor can also play that type of role. For yeah. Once, so. And that's a very interesting take. And if that's the case, like that would basically make Jonathan Taylor a top five running back, <laughs> if that's the case. Right. Um, but, you know, at the same time, when you look at like the guys who were at the top of like yards per route run, like, you know, Naheem Hines was all the way up at the top. You know, he was right near the top. He was like top seven or something like that above Jonathan Taylor. So Great running back he, too. He, he's just a good guy. He's just a really good pass catching back. So if they do need, if they do want a guy who's going to be going to have that role, I can see them sticking with Hines. Um, now, the reason why I, I have guys like Akers 
Aaron Jones, Zeke, Eckler above him is because I know that they'll be pretty involved in the passing game, right? And, and if I'm going to take an early down guy that early as the RB7, like I am with Chubb, you know, and they're not going to be involved in the passing game, I, 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 for me personally, like I need more than the sample size I saw last season against some very good matchups, right? Towards the end of that year, like he had yeah. like almost all of his matchups at, during that stretch were really good matchups. I also don't know what Frank Reich's view of the workload is going into next season. Like he's always been a bit iffy when it came to those backfield splits. Um, but listen, like if you know me, like, you know, I'm a huge fan of Jonathan, huge fan of Jonathan Taylor. He was my, my uh, dynasty RB one uh, rookie wise going into last season. So like, I'm a big fan of him. I just, the opportunity was my issue with him going into last season in terms yeah. of redraft. Um, but even after CEH was drafted, you know what I mean? By the Chiefs, I was still on Jonathan Taylor as the RB1. Um, and, you know, his talent and his second half of the season showed – he showed everybody, like, why he was that dude. Um, but, yeah, so so you have Zeke and DeAndre Swift next. Uh, I have Cam Akers at RB7. Well, um, I have I have Cam Akers and Swift at 9-10. I know you okay. our lists are getting – a little intertwined because you have that's okay like, jonathan taylor later whatever but my next right. two guys are cam Akers and swift okay okay good so so for me like cam Akers. so you have cam Akers where rb what nine nine okay i have him at seven so for for me like i, I honestly think that Akers is pretty safe to me going into next year like and his ceiling is is top five right yeah T- towards the end of last season when Akers got healthy sean mcveigh was basically doing anything he could to give Akers a job especially towards the end of the year um, and by job, I mean all the work, right? So that one game against San Francisco in week 12, he showed out a little bit. I think he had like eight or nine carries, but he had a couple big runs. Yeah. Um, and that's literally all McVay needed to see. From weeks 13 on. Against the Acres, Patriots. Yeah, dude. From weeks 13 on, Akers averaged almost 24 touches per game. Yeah. And that's including the playoffs. Um, he had carries, you know, uh, he had basically almost all the carries inside the five in that span. Uh, Malcolm Brown had, you know, actually Malcolm Brown had a couple. Daryl Henderson had none. Um, but Akers handled 24 of the 28 red zone rushing attempts during that span. Uh, he was the workhorse from there on out, pretty much. Um, he had a 31-touch week on 79% of snaps in week 14. And then in their divisional game against the Packers, like they lost against the Packers, but he was in the field for 96% of snaps. Yep. And Malcolm Brown was healthy. He was just fine. Um, and Malcolm Brown is an unrestricted free agent, so he might not be back. And if he's not back, that's pretty much that pretty much guarantees Akers a three down role because they're not going to give Henderson that third down role, right? And every down role is very much in the cards for mm-hmm. Akers. And I can imagine a world, I mean, I can't imagine a world where like Henderson is getting 30% of snaps a game next sure. season, something like that, maybe, um, if that. Um, but I just feel like Akers is going into the season you know, as a workhorse. Now there was a lot of churn in this backfield towards the end of the season because acres hurt his ankle against the jets in week 15. He's still 18 touches in that game. Somehow he was out the following week and then Henderson suffered a high ankle sprain. You know, so there's a lot going on and it was, it was kind of confusing. Right. And when you yeah. look at it, all the running backs were healthy. Like I looked at this, right. All the running backs were healthy from weeks 13 to 15. Okay. And in that span acres was the guy. And, and then you had the every down roll against the Packers. For me, that was kind of like the icing on the cake as a potential preview of what we will see out of Akers um, next year on the team that wants to run the ball and with the offense, you know, 
most likely taking a step forward because the upgrade at the quarterback position. Yeah, and one of the things I mentioned last week on the podcast was even though the Rams now have Matt Stafford, I still believe, still truly believe they do want to be a run-heavy team. Like, they do have Matt Stafford now, and that allows them to throw the ball if needed. But I think their first thing is going to be, okay, we have a great defense somehow. Like, unbelievable how well their defense have played with all the guys they lost. Uh, as long as Aaron Donald's there, you know, it's he'll hold down the fort. But point being, like, run it with acres, play good defense, and if it comes to a situation where you need to air it out or you need to play catch-up, Matt Stafford can do that. So... Yeah, I mean, Akers is definitely someone who I could very easily see being a top five, top three. I would, I mean, look, outside of Christian McCaffrey and Delvin Cook, came Akers at his very best, I think could argue for that top three spot, especially if Kamara does end up taking a little bit of a backseat, which probably won't happen. But point being, I like Akers. And another guy I really like is Swift, who I think Dan Campbell, as we've already mentioned, like literally on every single podcast, uh, just wants to make Swift the next Alvin Kamara. And he's already talked about um, he wants an offensive corner who's going to get into space. And Adrian Peterson is going to be free agent. And I know there's a downgraded quarterback. It's confusing with Kenny Galladay. And it's confusing. Marvin Jones is more than likely gone. So, yeah, I mean, what is this offense going to look like? But at the same time, Swift is going to see, I think, a ton of targets. And I think he's going to get a ton of opportunity out of the backfield. Uh, he he had some very good games throughout the year. So what's uh what's going on with Swift? Where do you have Swift? Um, where do I have Swift? Let's see. I have him pretty high, relatively high. I have him at twelve right now. Um, okay. because I just have guys like you know just guys like Zeke, Eckler, Taylor over him. Um, I think he's going to be in, in, in close to an every down guy. Like if he if I know that no one's going to be sharing the workload with him, I might move him up a couple spots. Um, but I'm assuming he's going to get work on all, on, on all downs, maybe not every down guy, but like 70% of snaps on all three downs. Sure. Um, and, and yeah, no, I think he's going to have a ton of opportunity. The only thing with him is that, you know, the offense is going to suck. Uh, but you know, as long as he has a, an every down role, it doesn't matter, right? He's going to get opportunity and he had a ton of receptions his first year. Um, and he's going to get even more his second year. He's a great receiving back. Um, he's good in the run game as well. So I'm all about, like, for me, like, I don't want to talk too much about DeAndre Swift because I just feel like I'm going to be talking about him so much yep. this offseason. He's going to be a big need to talk about. People, this gonna, people, gonna, people, gonna get, people are going to get tired of me talking about DeAndre Swift this season. <laughs> and, yeah, like, RB12, like, it's it's relatively low, I guess. Um, you know, he's still an RB1 in my rankings, but I feel like I'm going to be moving him up a little bit as I – find out more on that backfield and how like a lot of these other running backs are shaping out. But for now, because of the fact that he's on the lions um, and you know, that I don't expect the offense to do big things. I just like, look at these other guys, like as, you know, kind of, I guess, safer options. Um, like a guy that I can see me putting him over is Jonathan Taylor, which he's at RB 11 for me. Um, but at the same time, I look at Taylor and I'm like, the offensive line is amazing. The offense is going to be better. He's going to get more opportunity to touchdowns. Most likely. He might still be involved in the passing game a little bit, even though he's not an every down back, potentially not an every down back next year. You know, I could see that. I could see that switch, but then that's why I have JT, you know, one spot above him. Um, but yeah, so I, I did want to mention one thing for Cam Akers. Like, and this is something that I saw, like that came out, I think today. Okay. Uh, this is, this is digging a little bit deep, but Thomas Brown, their running backs coach 
said last offseason, like right before the season started, that he wanted one clear-cut guy. And I know a lot of people were talking about McVay wanting a timeshare, this and that, because he was talking about uh, Kyle Shanahan and how he does things. But he, he actually deferred to Brown on that. And that's what happened at the end of the year. And Thomas Brown just got promoted to assistant head coach. So we might have a little bit of a Deuce Staley situation happening here in LA where, you know, the running backs coach is the assistant head coach and kind of like, you know, kind of uh, like, hey, run it, run it. Yeah, like just basically, you know, in Sean McVay's ear talking about, you know, we have our guy, you know what I mean? Um, yep. So I just, just wanted to plant that seed, you know, and, and see what happens. Um, Watch it so, <laughs> so I have Aaron Jones as my RB8. You have him as your RB12. Yeah. Um, and, and I do want to explain my, my stance on Aaron Jones, even though we have no idea what team he's going to be on. Um, but we, we don't they, think it's going to be the backers, at least right now. Right. We, I, it's not gonna be the backers, dude. I don't think they have the money. Um, no, no. but he's going to get paid, right? Aaron Jones is going to get paid, and, and whichever team he lands on, paid him for a reason, right? If I'm a GM, I'm not giving any running back big money, but if a GM does it, that team is damn sure going to use him, and he's likely going to play a three down role in every down role, who knows, but a three down role, pretty much guaranteed because he's one of the best pass catching running backs in the game. But overall, he's actually shown to be one of the most efficient. Like, yes, like the Packers offense was a big part of his success. And I feel like a lot of people will fade him because of the change. But check this out. Among all running backs with at least 200 carries last year, Aaron Jones was second, only to Derrick Henry in yards after contact per attempt. Now, not how many yards his offensive line created for him. Like that's, that is all Aaron Jones right there, right? And Dalvin Cook was right after him. He was fifth in yards per route run behind some pretty damn good pass catchers, like with a minimum of 60 targets, you know, as a threshold. So Kamara was number one, Hines was number two, Eckler was number three, McKissick was number four, and Aaron Jones was number five. And, and those guys above Aaron Jones, like those are guys who specialize in that area, right? They, yep. they're, they're pass catching specialists, right? Um, and the opportunity is going to be there. Like, we'll see where he lands. Uh, there, there was some rumors, right, about him and Miami, or like kind of eyeing each other from across Mutual, the bar. Yeah. Um, but and if that's the case, sure. Like, look at the opportunity guys like Miles Gaston was getting, especially in the pass game. So I'm 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 with that. So why are you? I don't know. See, uh, you're a little bit lower on Aaron Jones. Like, do you want to see his landing spot first? I mean, yeah. That trying to make rankings this early. Most of this is like we're all expecting all this to change, right? Like right. our top ten could look totally different in a couple months. But yeah, a big part of it has to do with I don't know where exactly he's going to land. Um, if for some reason he makes it back to Green Bay, maybe A.J. Dillon, who started getting some looks at the end of the year, starts to see the field a little more. So, And uh, there were even times where Aaron Jones would get um, outsnapped by Jamal Williams or just there's situations where he thought it would be Jones, but then it ended up being Williams, and uh, you know who's also a free agent. So there are some minor questions to answer with Aaron Jones. But if he does end up in a place like Miami – he'll easily be like right back into my top 10. Dude, I saw a stat today and I was, I was it blew my mind that Aaron Jones over the last two seasons, Aaron Jones is top five in total touches. Nice. Which is, which is, which is so interesting, right? Because this unleash Aaron Jones movement has been out and about. Um, and, you know, even though like, he hasn't gotten the full workload. Like he's only been playing like 50% of snaps for the most part over the past two seasons um, with Jamal Williams taking a bunch of that as well. Like 
the fact that he was top five in touches is amazing. That means that when he's in the game, he's getting, he, he's, he's getting the ball pretty much. Um, so, okay. So here we go. Get ready, guys. You have Joe Mixon as your RB11 after Swift, after yeah. Akers, right before Aaron Jones, right before Austin Eckler. Yeah. Explain your man crush on your boy Joe Mixon. <laughs> I mean, how could you not love Joe Mixon, right? So <laughs> how can you not? It's probably because if you've drafted him either of the last two years, you've probably been pretty hurt by him. And that's understandable. But it, in fantasy football, we need to have a short memory because Joe Mixon is what? He's going into another year with Zach Taylor and Giovanni Bernard is in his thirties. Now they can save a lot of money by cutting him. And uh, I think that's going to, you know, end up being the case. They'll end up cutting him hopefully with their top two, three, four. I think they have picked fifth overall. The Bengals will use that pick to reinforce that offensive line. You have Joe Burrow coming off an ACL tear. They're going to want to lean on that running game. Joe Mixon's got a shiny new contract coming in. Um, he, he's still a very, very good running back, and he did have that one big game against the Jaguars. But what I really want to highlight is a change that I noticed last year. So in years prior, like, it was sort of like a um, – it, it was more of a committee with, with Mixon. It was Gio Barnard would come in and filter in on those passing downs. Joe Mixon really wasn't that guy for him. But after he got paid – Look, that third game in, this is a very small sample size because in week six, Joe Mixon did get hurt, which he has a foot issue, which caused him to miss the rest of the year. Um, They're being cautious with him. You know, they just gave him a big contract. They weren't really going anywhere. Joe Burrow tore his ACL. So they're like, you know, there's no point in bringing him back. So he'll be fine for next year. But um, first game, he played 59% of the snaps. Second game, he played 50% of the snaps. The second game was pretty close between him and Gio Bernard. What one thing I did point out in that week two game for the Bengals, I believe it was against the Browns. I'm not even sure. Uh, Jim Bernard missed a couple blocks. He, he missed a couple blocks. And on top of that, he had a really bad fumble. Um, and, and I believe one of the blocks he missed caused Joe Burrow to get tackled, uh, sacked in the backfield, which resulted in a fumble and a touchdown. So that wasn't a good look which followed by the next week, Joe Mixon getting a boost to 72% of the snaps, following with the 83% of the snaps, then up to 76% of the snaps. In those last two weeks, he saw eight and six targets, some of the highest numbers he's ever seen out of the backfield. So I truly believe going into 2021 that they are going to ride Joe Mixon. I know a lot of people are tired to be talking about it. I know a lot of people are tired of hearing this every single year, but look, I mean, his situation is arguably better than it was last year, right? I mean, last year we knew Gio Bernard was going to be some some sort of involved. We knew Joe Burrow was a rookie. We knew the offensive line was not great. Um, we knew A.J. Green was on the decline and that they haven't had any other established wide receivers. But look, they have T. Higgins to stretch the field. They have Tyler Boyd there. Um, hopefully, as I mentioned before, they're going to beef up the offensive line. Joe Burrow has established himself as at least a decent NFL quarterback from the limited uh, time that we saw. And, and I mentioned he's coming off an ACL. So I think this situation is almost better than it was last year. And last year I had him as my running back four. So I think he's going to be a steal this year. If you can get him in the third round, which if like, well, you have him at what, running back 15? Dude, I don't think, I think you'll be able to get him in the fourth. I'm, and I'm not, and I'm not kidding. 
And I'm not if, kidding. No, here's the thing. Because if I'm in a league with other people, he will not be there in the fourth. If he's in the third, if he's in the fourth round for me, he will a million percent be in a hundred percent of my league. Oh, me too. Me too. And, and I'm with you on that. Like, I I am on board with the fact that Joe Mixon is extreme going to be extremely cheap in drafts. Um, his opportunity share of his backfield has gone up and it's never been this high yeah. with Gio Bernard healthy um, last year. And, and we saw it. It's just that when you don't see him getting all of the targets, you're like, oh, Joe Mixon, Gio Bernard is getting the targets. No, he wasn't. He, he wasn't getting the opportunity either. He might've been on the field, but he wasn't getting a touch and he wasn't getting a target, which means that even though Gio was on the field, no other running back was getting that, that opportunity anyway. So Joe Mixon had the, his, his opportunity share was, I think, top five last year when him and Gio Bernard were healthy, which means that Joe Mixon was that guy. Um, and, and you mentioned a lot of great points with him going into next season. Gio Bernard is going to be 30 next year. Well, this year in November. So he's going into his age 30 season. Yeah. And if they continue to get to give Gio Bernard targets over Mixon, it's just a bad look. It's just not going to work out. Gio Bernard was pretty efficient earlier in his career, but he's not there anymore. Um, and, and yeah, he had some good games last season for them, um, but he had some bad games too. You know, he had the fumble where he got completely benched. And he, he got had outplayed other by guys. Samaje Piran and Trivian Williams from time to time. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the fact that Joe Mixon is going to be super cheap next year, I feel like he's going to be on a few of my teams. Um, and I think a lot of people are going to overlook him. A lot of people are done with him. And a lot of people it. are hurt by him and have gotten even hurt even in him. dynasty like i'm gonna buy i'm gonna buy joe mixon right now you know it, it, because of the fact that he's so cheap like when you when when any player who is his age his draft capital um you know i mean not even draft capital look at his contract right when you have and a guy who's uh who has his type of contact balance his his type of skill set when it comes to the pa- when the, in the passing game as well you gotta buy you gotta buy regardless of you know, how he spited you or anybody else uh, in the past in terms of fantasy. And it, it, it really becomes after this Joe Mixon point where I think the next right answer has to be Austin Eckler. And I know that's a guy you're um, higher on than I am. I'm a little concerned from some points of view just because it's a complete overhaul of the coaching staff. Um, Anthony Lynn loves those running backs and loves getting those guys involved. And he also really, really loved Austin Eckler. So it's going to be interesting how this backfield shakes out. As of right now, I don't think there's anyone there who would threaten him. But Kalen Balaj, when he did come in, he had a larger role than I think a lot of us thought um, he would towards the middle to end part of the year. He held on to that goal line role he had some passing down work and as someone who had Austin Eckler on their fantasy team it was a little frustrating to see him constantly in the game the one thing that was frustrating with Austin Eckler first of all don't ever talk about Caleb Balazs on this podcast <laughs> second of all uh Austin Eckler the, the one thing with, that was frustrating with him was that he was being pulled on all goal line situations yeah um and I get it like he's a small dude right like I, I totally understand. But, I mean, Aaron Jones would get done. You know what I mean? Uh, but regardless, like, Aaron Jones is one of the smallest running backs in the league, by the way, in terms of how many touches that he gets on, on the daily. Um, but I digress. Um, with Austin Eckler, like, the good thing about him is if you didn't, if you play in a full PPL league, his floor is safe. Um, he's so efficient. And, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you know, he can rack up 25 points for you without a touchdown, right? Because he's getting you those PPR points. He's going to give you, you know, 10 to 15 rushes per game on top of potentially six to eight catches 
Um, you know, and then on top of that, the yards that he gets in the receiving game, which he always, he's always efficient in the receiving game as well. He's one of the top pass catching running backs in the league. Um, and because of that alone, you know, he has to be RB one for me um, because of, of his floor being so high. Um, and the fact that, you know, he can score like last year was a down year in terms of touchdowns for him. Um, but I can see that improve. And obviously, you know, he had that really rough injury. So, you know, there was a lot playing against him last season. Now, the reason why all those guys were involved, it wasn't really taken away from Austin Eckler. Where it did take away was the goal line. But I think, feel like regardless, there was going to be somebody who's going to be take, going to take away that role, whether it was like Josh Kelly, you know, whether whoever it was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, but the thing in that backfield is that they were running the ball so much. Like at times, there were like two or three running backs who you would have been happy starting for fantasy yeah. on that same team in a given week, which is insane. Uh, but you know, that's not going to happen anymore. Anthony Lynn is gone, right? Like it's just not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to happen. So I think Austin Eckler is pretty safe going into next season. He's not a workhorse by any means, but he can easily get you 20 touches. Um, and if like 30 to 40% of those touches are in the passing game, you're looking at a really good weighted opportunity right there. Um, and even if he doesn't get those, those goal line touchdowns that you want. That's why he's not a top five running back. You know what I mean? Or a top six running back. That's why he's just like, you know, around, he's like a low end RB one, you know, which I'm happy with. Um, it, it, you know, I'm happy choosing him every year, especially if I'm in a full PPR league. Um, so now, so moving on to the next guy, we, we both have James Robinson pretty close. Um, I have him as an RB 13. You have him at RB 14. Um, this really depends on if they add someone to this backfield. Now, if they don't, add anyone to this backfield are you back in on him as an rb1 or are you already assuming they don't add someone how, how are you looking at robinson going into this year it's tough because it's not even just about for me it's not even just about adding another running back it's about like if they add another receiver if they add a tight end because for me i felt like jaguars couldn't get anything going in the passing game just nothing so they're like, screw it. Let's hand the ball off to our undrafted free agent running back. See what he can do. You know, so I, I don't think his job security is all that high. I am worried about James Robinson if they do bring in someone else. Or maybe last year was, you know, maybe last year wasn't in. Maybe last year he just had a good year and he doesn't continue that. Or he's not that guy. So there is a lot of unknowns with James Robinson is then in that respect. But if they bring in like, who I thought they would bring in like someone like Kenny Galladay, who I think would be a great downfield weapon for Trevor Lawrence. Um, I think the momentum and the play style of this offense can definitely shift. So um, yeah, I mean, look, James Robinson, it's, it's just too early to, to know what the hell this situation is going to look like. And because there's so many unknowns, I, I don't want to take him before the Eckler, Aaron Jones, Mixon, Swift, Akers, Zeke, like these guys, we have not. a pretty good idea already who are going to be the lead back on their teams and going to handle that big workload. Um, but James yeah, Robinson I, still I, I have him, I have yeah. him like below all those guys that you mentioned. The only thing, I, the only guy that you mentioned I have after him is Joe Mixon. But you're um, going to change that, right? I'm going to change that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I think he's way trickier in Dynasty, right? In Dynasty, like if you have him, you know, you're afraid that like his value is going to, going to get lost so quickly that you, you and you didn't have a chance to trade him yeah. or you're like, OK, you're too low on James Robinson. 
I'm going to buy them from you. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's tricky, you know, and um, in redraft, I think it's a little bit simpler because if they don't really add anyone to that backfield, he showed that he was capable last season and they're going to give the, the it's not like they're going to not run the ball anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's going to be a goal line guy. There's going to be a guy receiving out of the backfield. Um, and he didn't have like a ridiculous, you know, workload last year. Like he had uh, 240 carries, I guess like he missed a couple games. Right. So maybe that could have been up to like 270, 280, something like that. It's possible. Um, but he also had like how many catches, like almost 50 catches last year, 49 catches last year um, and a pretty good catch rate. So he's somebody like who can get it done. You know, if he was called upon, it's just a matter of like, hey, like, is he going to be the guy who's getting that three down that every down opportunity like he was getting last season? We don't know that yet. So there's a lot of unknowns. Um, he's going to be he's going to hover around that like high end RB2 area for me right now but we'll see that that's somebody that's going to be moving up and down the rankings um absolutely okay so i have jamal williams at rb14 right now uh and and this is just a little fun for me right like i just want to like throw some scenarios out there because i'm assuming green bay lets aaron jones go resigns williams and and the reason why green bay is going to let aaron jones go because they they just don't have the money to resign him right Williams, Jamal Williams, a lot more affordable. Uh, I think they re-sign him to find a way to. Um, and if that's the case, like I'm putting Williams, like if I know that that's the scenario going into next season, I might just straight up put him in my RB1 somehow. Uh, you know, he's RB14 right now. If it happens, I think I have to. Now, I'm just, uh, like, I think that if it's Williams and AJ Dillon, Dillon in the backfield, I think Williams is going to be an RB1. Like, I know that AJ Dillon had a couple of games where he showed his ability in the run game, but Williams showed that he can be the RB1 for this team yeah. in the weeks that Aaron Jones was out. Like, he played on an every down role. He handled 23 touches on average in those weeks. He caught 35 of 39 targets this year. Um, and Matt LaFleur, like, I think he simply wants a versatile back on the field as much as possible. And I think that's going to play a huge role uh, in who's going to be on the field most of the time. Now, AJ Dillon like there's no doubt that he's going to compliment Williams and most likely in the run game. Like I could see Dylan getting like eight to 10 carries a game, something like that. Um, If that, right. Like Williams got all Jamal Williams got all eight red zone carries in the two games that Aaron Jones missed last season. And and I, and I'm somebody who thought that Dylan was going to be their goal line guy, like overall, you know, coming into last year. Um, But that, that didn't seem to be what LaFleur had in mind for him. Um, And because of the versatility and him being on a great offense, getting five to six targets per game on top of the on top of what he's getting on the ground, I think that just plays into Williams being an RB one if this free agency scenario plays out. Yeah, I, I can definitely see it. I see uh, Jamal Williams as more of the Aaron Jones type than AJ Dillon, but at the same time, you can't help but think. Like, what did LaFleur have in mind when he drafted Dylan? And what kind of a role does he envision for Dylan? And I'm sure... Can I ask you a question? Moves... Yeah, yeah. What kind of role mm-hmm. do you think Jordan Love is playing on the Packers? Okay, that's 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 a fair point, but you know what? I, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I, it, was just a, it was just a funny <laughs> question I, I, that I had to just insert right there. Okay, go ahead. What go kind ahead. Of this, is not, this is unrelated. It was envisioned for J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. <laughs> All right, go for it. But point being, I think over the offseason, we're going to hear a ton of talk, a ton of A.J. Dillon looks great in camp. A.J. Dillon 
looks like he's going to carry the load. Matt LaFleur says he really likes what Dylan has done so far. And I think that's going to cause his draft stock to really, really rise. Um, And I think the assumption with the fantasy community, if Jones leaves, is that A.J. Dylan is going to be the guy. I agree. And on the surface, like, that's a fair assumption because of where they drafted him and, um, you know, the hopes for him and the similarities between him and Derrick Henry to how LaFleur can utilize him in this offense. But that does make Jamal Williams great, great value. I mean, if we're playing the ADP game here, if AJ Dillon ends up being a fifth rounder and Jamal Williams ends up being anything past that, he could be a huge value. So I'm hundred percent with you. I think, Jamal, like last year, like Naheem Hines was like a top 15 running back in PPR. So it's not that hard. So, so I have two points to make here and you make some great points too. Like if these guys are playing a 50, 50 snap split, who would you rather have Jamal Williams or AJ Dillon? Jamal Williams, my head and like every part of me wants to say Dillon, right? He's that intriguing second year player. And he's like, you know, he's got the huge thighs and he's like, he's got the, he huge, thighs. Pretty, he's got the huge thighs. He's got the quads. But, um, you know, I, I, Williams, the pass catcher, you got to take the pass catcher. Exactly. Exactly. He's the pass catching guy. And, and those five to six targets per game potentially is going to play out. Right. And, and um, you know, there's a reason why he was like the every down workhorse last season when Aaron Jones was out. Now, obviously, A.J. Dillon's going to have a whole offseason to progress and learn the offense, et cetera, et cetera. But is he going to progress in the, you know, in a pass catching role and in a, um, in a, uh, in a quarterback protection scheme that you know they want him to to play out? Um, Jamal Williams kind of just does everything well enough. Um, the second point that I wanted to make was, if you look back at Lafleur's time in Tennessee. Who was Derrick Henry's, and excuse my French, but who was Derrick Henry's biggest cock block? It was LaFleur, because LaFleur would not give him the snaps. Who was LaFleur playing with Derrick Henry in a 50-50 time split? Do you remember? Marco Murray. No. Deion Lewis? LaFleur, Deion Lewis. Yeah. Why was he putting Deion Lewis out there? Because he was more what? Versatile. The dude was playing Deion Lewis on 50% of snaps when he had Derrick Henry. Yeah. And then later on the season, finally, with like five games left in the season, he gave finally gave Derrick Henry the workload. And he's like, oh, oh, this guy is pretty good. This guy's really good. We should keep running him. And then the rest was history. But LaFleur was, was resisting that the entire season, right? And Mike Vrabel came about as the next head coach. And he's just like, oh, yeah, I, I think I'll continue to ride this. This yeah. ride this Derrick Henry guy, you know what I mean? I mean so that's the that's that's what I look at right now. And like with the fact that he drafted AJ Dillon, who you know has a lot of obvious comps to Derrick Henry, is hilarious to me um, because I feel like, oh, okay, cool, this is going to be another Deion Lewis Derrick Henry situation, <laughs> right? Except I think Jamal Williams is just a better player than than Deion Lewis. So um, so yeah, no, it's it's interesting. So I just thought that 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 whole uh, dynamic was an interesting yeah. one going into but next you, season. Another interesting perspective on this too is what if the Packers and Matt Lafleur like Jamal Williams in his complimentary role? What if they like him as that change of pace pass catching guy, the guy to come in and 
you know, support the main guy. And I think his contract, if he does get signed by the Packers, could speak to that. Sure. Because I think if they say, like, you know, we really want to, like, because I'm sure, you know, I've never created a contract for an NFL player, but I'm sure part of their intrigue is like, okay, what are your plans for me? Right. Like, if I'm going to sign with you, what are your plans for me with this team? Like, what would my role be? And that usually spoken a lot through the amount and um, also the yearly commitment as well. So, you know, honestly, like, I think Jamal Williams would, you know, I think he would get a pretty decent contract yeah. from, another, from another team because if they want somebody versatile, you know, we've seen like other running backs get paid a decent amount. Like, look at what Latavius Murray got, right, in New Orleans, right? Look what he got, you know, look what – there are random other guys who got interesting, like, big contracts, relatively big contracts, Kareem right? Hunt making, like, what, like $8 million, $6 Yeah, million, so, million. like, when you look at – well, Kareem Hunt, you know, if he – I still have I still have a lot of, you know – I feel like Kareem Hunt still can be unleashed at some point. But, you know, I think Philly Jamal Williams is going to get a contract that's going to surprise some people. Um, and if Green Bay – you know, wants to be in that game, I think they're going to have to pay a little bit up, pay pay up for him a little bit more than we think. You know, I don't think he's just a role player that, you know, as far as, as far as like on the, on the market, you know, in the free agent market, I think he's going to be more than just a role player. So um, in terms of money. So, so we'll see how that plays out. Okay. Moving on. So your RB 15 is Antonio Gibson. Um, I have him, I guess, right outside my top 15, but Talk to me about Gibson and what you're expecting from him next season. So it's going to revolve around the quarterback position because I feel like McKissick's role as a safety net had a lot to do with the fact that Gibson was a rookie. Um, Gibson didn't really do much of running the ball in college. He only had 33 carries in college. So there was sort of a learning curve and, you know, getting acclimated to the NFL for, for Gibson, um hey so man, yeah, I'll I say like, I'll, I'll say this though like for someone who ran the ball 33 times in college no, exactly. did he, 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 did he look great. damn good for running the ball in the NFL like goodness he did and and the Washington Washington like low-key has a pretty good offensive line but it's going to be whatever the quarterback position come, ends up being because Alex Smith did not want to take any hits in that backfield and I remember games where McKissick would have 10 plus, I think it was like two or three weeks in a row where McKissick had 10 plus targets with Antonio Gibson on the field. So he- heading into his year two, I, I think that's going to change. I think he's going to end up getting more targets, but there is still a huge question factor of, um, you know, who's going to be playing quarterback. Will McKissick keep his passing down role? Um, regardless, I think Gibson looked great running the ball. I think he's, great in the red zone i think he's great on the goal line so he'll be able to get his work and i think no matter what he'll for sure be a running back too it just his ceiling totally depends on as i mentioned the quarterback position the role of jd mckissick and whoever else they add to this washington football team who they're they're still going by the washington football team for 2021 by the way they're not changing their name till 2022 so we have a whole nother year of just saying washington <laughs> yeah yeah i mean like you know i i really like him and i wish he got a lot of opportunity jd mckiss is going to be on the team next year do you do you remember this um when when the season started and and teams were putting out their depth charts to begin the year that jd mckissick was the rb1 i don't know if you remember this you, you do <laughs> and, and and that played out 
Isn't yeah. that interesting how that played out? Everyone was like, oh, you know, they're just doing that. Smoke they always screen. do that. They always do that. But I think uh, Jonathan the, Taylor that, was third in the depth chart behind Hines and Mac. Right. And and that and both of them were true. Right? Yeah. Like Mac was getting a ton of work in that first game. Uh, you know, and obviously, you know, we we know what Naheem Hines was doing. He was a waiver wire darling after that first week. Um, so yeah, so like we we kind of knew what was happening there, uh, but we didn't want to see it because we just assumed that these, these coaches were just playing games. Uh, but no, I think J.D. McKissick was their RB1 going into the season. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's interesting, you know, how, how that all worked out. And, and the good thing is that, you know, we know that Gibson at least is going to be their goal line guy. Like he's he's the guy, right? There's nobody yeah, else going yeah. to get, you know, nobody else there who's going to get um, those goal line carries, which is great. I can see more work in the passing game. I can see his work moving up a little bit. You know what I mean? Especially if they want to kind of, uh, get that run game going. Um, I was going to say establish the run, but I can't say that anymore. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I do like him. I do like his talent. I'm just hoping that the opportunity is going to be there for him. And um, we'll see. We'll see what the running back coaches say. We'll see what the coaching, what the coach speak is going into the season. And I think mm-hmm. he's somebody too that could be going up, uh, you know, moving up and down depending on on what McKissick's role is going to be next season. And, and it's crazy because like, I, I don't look at McKissick as a guy who, you know, should, you know, move the needle too much. But at the yeah. same time, like, he got it done. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he was getting the ball like crazy from Alex Smith. But he's not going to get targeted like that next season. Alex Smith is not there. Alex Smith, it was interesting what Alex Smith said that, you know, Washington just didn't want him there, um, you know, and it threw a wrench in his plans. Did you see that? No. Uh, Google it. It's interesting. Alex Smith was basically – he did an interview with GQ, and he was basically saying that, Washington simply didn't want him to make a comeback. Um, that once he made the comeback, comeback that he threw a wrench into their plans and kind of like just ruined what, I mean, not ruined, but like that's not the word that he used, but um, you know, it's kind of like not what they wanted to do. Like they didn't want him to start him, you know what I mean? And, and they didn't want to play him. And he felt like not wanted at all, wow. um, which is super interesting. Cause like he's such a, it was such a great story. You know, the fact that he came back the way he did. Um, and made some starts and got got wins um, and all that. But uh, but ch- check out the story. It, it's it's very it's interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think we hit all of the running backs who were in our top fifteen. Um, yeah. We didn't we didn't hit on the uh, Tyler Higby of uh, twenty twenty one. The Tyler Higby of twenty twenty one. Please. Who do you think I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, dude, Tyler Higby of twenty twenty one. Hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Hold on. Uh, are you talking about David Montgomery? Yes, I am. A guy ah. who at the final stretch of the year had the best matchups possible and the best opportunities possible for that final four or five game that's going to make him a lot very overdrafted the next year. Tariq Cohen coming back. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Why aren't more people talking about Jonathan Taylor's easy schedule too at the end of the year? Because <laughs> I think Jonathan Taylor is a guy who was drafted high. And like, look, this is the first year of Jonathan Taylor, right? Yes. This is the first year Jonathan Taylor. We saw the first year David Montgomery. We saw the first half David Montgomery. In the first half for Jonathan Taylor, he wasn't playing bad. No, like he, he was. was still, huh? He was playing bad. I mean, okay, David Montgomery in the first couple of years was yeah. really not playing. We sure. have more of a sample size of David Montgomery not playing well. 100%. I, and I hear you. Like, I'm not arguing who's a better running back. I know yeah. that Jonathan Taylor is clearly the better running back than David Montgomery. But my point being that, you know, whenever we talk about David Montgomery's 
schedule to end the year and how he killed it, we have to we have to acknowledge the same thing for Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because we we can't look at that as a pro for Jonathan Taylor and a negative mm-hmm. for David Montgomery. But I think what also makes him different too is Jonathan Taylor's got the offensive line. He's got a good enough quarterback to get it done, and oh, he's got I, a good enough yeah. scheme. You 100%. know, and I, I and feel like that's the difference with David Montgomery, hundred percent. And like it was, and it, I think that Tyler Hibby thing was really cool that you said that because like Gerald Everett is basically Tariq Cohen. Yeah, right. Like Tariq Cohen's gonna come back. He's gonna take that third down roll back from, uh, from 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 David Montgomery. And part of the reason why a lot of people, including myself, was trading for David Montgomery last year is because. David Montgomery was getting in every down. He was literally on the field for like yeah. 90% of snaps. And don't get me wrong. He looked great in those games. I mean, yeah. he's what they he wanted to He did what he was supposed to do against those teams. 100%. And look, if if the Bears, if for whatever reason, get like Deshaun Watson, which is highly unlikely considering the other options for him. Um, but if they get Deshaun Watson or if they can get an improvement at the quarterback position, then, I mean... David Montgomery can still be good. You know, I, yeah, I think if they got Watson, I think, so. I think Montgomery would probably find his way into like my 14th, 15th spot. Yeah. And listen, I like David Montgomery as a running back. Like, I think he's good. And I think uh, people don't give him enough credit. I think people just think he sucks. And I don't think he sucks. I think, I think in the league, I think he's uh, like talent wise, I think he's a top 15 running back. Sure. Top 15, something like that. Um, because I think he has a little wiggle to his game. He, he's good in the pass game. Um, you know, he, he's, he's low to the ground. He makes guys miss. He's elusive. Um, and like he was near the top of the league in missed tackles, um, in forced missed tackles. So, you know, he's, he's, he's good. And it's just a matter of the scheme. Like I'm not a big fan of this Matt Nagy scheme. Um, and if you notice, like when, once, the, once they changed the play caller, you know, to, to Bill Lazor, it made a huge difference in him. And, and that's, yeah. that's, I think that's uh, another reason why he had that huge run that he did because as soon as Bill Lazor took over, yes, the matchups changed at that point too. But when Bill Lazor took over, that's literally when David Montgomery started going off. So, you know, that's something to, to look into as well. But, but yeah, no, it's, such a, it's just a funny c- comparison uh, <laughs> that you made to Tyler Higby. Uh, we, we obviously didn't mention Miles Sanders, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I have these guys at like 16, 17, right outside the top 15. Uh, obviously, Josh Jacobs, you didn't mention those, those guys. What do you have, J.K. Dobbins? I have them. So I, I, I haven't really like dug deep past the top 15 for the most part. I still got to organize these. But I have J.K. Dobbins around like RB19, RB20. I have him at 20 and yeah. I feel like there's a cutoff. So after like our top 15 is like Sanders, Monty, Clyde Edwards, Jacobs, and Dobbins kind of like floating exactly. around in that that's, range. That's literally and, how I have it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, it, after that, it's like cream hunt and like, you can't even really make a list after that. It's like David Johnson. Cause technically he's right. a starter right now. Like there's yeah. uh, Chris Carson's in there somewhere, but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, right now running back 20, uh, you had mentioned briefly before he's not going to see a lot of targets at all. He's very touchdown dependent. I don't think Gus Edwards is going anywhere. And the fact that Mark Ingram is done doesn't really do anything for me either, just because he wasn't involved uh, late in the year. Um, Dobbins, I, I think is a great running back. And it's a exactly. shame that he, you know, unfortunately we're not going to see him get 20 touches a game. Um, Cause I think if he did, he'd be very, very good. You mentioned before that he was, I think number one for more most like percentage of runs over 15 yards or something like that. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and he, he was he was number one in in the percentage of runs that he ran over 15 yards. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So <laughs> no, no. I, I was like, you know, you know how like you, you when you're trying to make sense of something that somebody said, you have to repeat it in your own. And then mind. it's like formulated together. It's like, oh wait, you just did that. No, exactly. You know, and I think a lot of people are going to be high on him. He might be overdrafted this year. Like I can totally see him being drafted as a top 15 running back, sure. but then you end up being disappointed. You know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't score a touchdown in a week and he only has like, you know, 12 carries, like, are you going to be 12 carries for 75 yards is still seven points. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, and in that, in that span that he had, like he had a game, he had a touchdown streak of seven games. Uh, but he only had 13 touches per game and he wasn't involved in the passing game at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like you said, you know, his talent leaps off the page. We just wish that, you know, he was getting the opportunity, but, uh, but yeah. Okay. So that pretty much wraps it up. We really wanted to just go over the top 15, you know, during this podcast, but you know, I, I'm going to post my rankings. Uh, Joe has already posted his quarterback rankings last week, and I'm sure you're going to post your running back rankings soon as well. The day uh, of, which would be the Friday, my running back rankings will go up. Perfect. Perfect. So, um, so we thank you guys for listening. I hope this made sense. Uh, Joe, you know what? Let's do this before we leave. Can you just ramble your top 15 running backs from yeah. one to 15 and I'll do the same just because it was kind of like out of order. All as over we the place, it. back and forth. Um, yeah. CMC one, Dalvin Cook two, Camara three, Henry four, Saquon. Um, then it goes Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, Ezekiel Elliott, Cam Akers, DeAndre Swift. That gets me up to 10. Joe Mixon at 11, don't forget that. 12, Aaron Jones. 13, Austin Eckler. 14, James Robinson. 15, Antonio Gibson. All, as we mentioned, subject to change. So. Okay. That, thank you for that. And then mine, I have Christian McCaffrey at number one. Might be a big surprise for a lot of people. Uh, Dalvin Cook at number two. Three, Derrick Henry. Four, Alvin Kamara. Saquon Barkley. Nick Chubb. K-Makers at seven. Aaron Jones at eight. Zeke. Austin Eckler at 10, Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, RB13, starting the RB2s, James Robinson, Jamal Williams at number 14, Joe Mixon at number 15. Which is a disgrace. You should be higher, but whatever. <laughs> All right, guys. We appreciate you listening. Um, go, go. If you don't follow Joe already, he's at fantasy.football.analyst on follow Instagram. Follow the birthday boy. On <laughs> I'm over at Upper Hand Fantasy, so you can go check me out there. Send us a DM, hit us up. Um, go if you can, you know, give us a, a good rating. Uh, on, it's his on, birthday; you have to. Yeah, yeah, for my birthday. Uh, <laughs> go ahead and rate the podcast and leave a review. Uh, you know that would that would be greatly appreciated. But we thank you guys for listening and thank you guys for the time. So you guys take it easy. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Uh, we'll be back next week with way too early. Wide receiver wide receivers. Well, that's gonna be yes. tough. That's that, oh yeah, top fifteen wide receivers is always gonna be tough. I feel like you gotta go like top thirty, but we don't have enough <laughs> time for that. Uh, <laughs> maybe we can split those up. We'll see. Oh, All right, guys. Three hours. Take it easy. <laughs> maybe we'll, we'll do one of those extra long episodes. But all right, thank you guys. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. See you. <laughs>